There is always um, a danger of cultural influence on the church. And we think about it and we, I think, think of the obvious things that uh, culture can do to uh, infect the church. Those obvious sins that leak into the church and sometimes seep into the church and sometimes pour into the church. And when we think of that, we think of a culture that says there are no absolute truths. And so if the culture says that, then the church can begin to capitulate on that idea. And the church can say, well, maybe there aren't absolute truths. And if there aren't, then uh, this is okay or that is okay. That is a cultural uh, shift that has affected the church. We can look at significant trends and see those, and they make their way into the church. But there is a cultural shift in our nation, maybe in the world, uh, but definitely in our nation, that has a, an imminent danger of making it into the church. If you have watched any of the presidential debates, specifically on the Republican side, uh, it ought to cause you to be disturbed that potential leaders of our nation will use the words they use, the language they use, the vitriolic uh, hatred that they spew out toward one another. And I'm afraid that that culture, that that crass part of our culture, that if it comes to my mind, I'm going to say it and that ought to be okay, is one of those things that can weave its way into the church unaware. Uh, it was a, a debate a few debates ago I was watching, and it was a CNN debate, and Wolf Blitzer was moderating. We should put that in quotes. He was moderating the debate. If you watched it, they're screaming, yelling at one another as he moderates this debate. And as they are yelling at one another, you hear this small voice out from the side. And uh, this small voice said, can someone please attack me? And it was Ben Carson. He just wanted to be involved. And the only way to get involved was to be part of the attack. And so Paul addresses this. It seems to be a left turn in the letter to the Thessalonians. There is no mention of trouble getting along in this letter. You go read 1 Corinthians and they couldn't get along. And so it makes sense he would mention it. You go to 1 Thessalonians, there's no mention of any kind of problem at all. There's no mention of dissension. There's no mention of trouble. Why, Paul, do you bring it up? And here's why. It is hard work to get along with one another, isn't it? It is. Have more than one child, and you'll know the answer to that question. You will. If you have more than one child, you will know 
Getting along doesn't come easy. It doesn't come naturally. And so here Paul brings it up to a church he commends, to a church he celebrates, to a church that he thanks God for their amazing work. We come to the end and Paul says, can't we all just get along? And so what does he talk about? Uh, he, He talks about leaders. He talks about followers or members. So he talks about members of the church, leaders of the church, and then everybody together. Uh, it's, it's a neat summation. Not only does he do that, we must be reminded that these are final words. Paul doesn't know that uh, he's going to write another letter to them. And as I was thinking about that, I remembered the night before I went to college. No one in my family had ever gone to college. And mom and dad uh, were, were understandably concerned. So here I am, the first kid to go away to college. They have no clue. They've not been in that world. They don't know what it's going to be like. So I remember them calling me into our eating kitchen at the dining room table. And they sat me down, both mom and dad. And they said, son, tomorrow you go to college. And we need to talk. And so for the next few minutes, it was just bam, 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 bam. One thing after another, after another. Now watch out for this. Be careful for this. Pay attention to this. You may see this. You may encounter this. Uh, remember what we taught you. Da, 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 da. Remember, remember. Da, 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 da. And it was these short to the point statements. They were so concerned. And that's what Paul does here. It's one after another, after another, after after another, after another. As a matter of fact, many of you probably thought the only two uh, uh, word verse in all of scripture was Jesus wept. But there's another one right here. Verse 16, rejoice always. Paul has little short statements. So what does he say? Three truths that we need to grab from this today. First of all, members respect those who serve you. Paul says, members respect those who serve you. Look at verse 12. We ask you. It's a gentle urging. It is not uh, the, the same urgency that he speaks to leaders about. And that is interesting because the onus is on us who lead. But he says, we ask you to respect The word respect has varied meanings. It means to have regard for. One, to cherish, means to pay attention to. Why is the word varied like that? Let me talk about it for a moment. If you regard somebody, you uh, esteem them because of their, um, their, their place in your life. Children regard their parents because they're your parents. You do that. To uh, cherish someone means you go beyond the regard to to love. There's a a love relationship that exists between you and your mom and dad, between you sometimes and a teacher, right? You are to regard all teachers, but teachers can tell you, I know teachers aren't supposed to have their favorites in the sense that they show deference to, but there are kids that are easier to love than others. Amen, teachers? Amen. 
right? And so there can develop between a teacher and a student a loving relationship. Uh, it, it means to pay attention to parents, the very best uh, kids, the very best thing you can do to respect your parents is to pay attention to them. Uh, students, the very best thing you could do uh, for your teachers, if you want to respect them, pay attention in class. That shows the greatest amount of respect. And so Paul says, members, respect your leaders, those who labor among you. Uh, he could have chosen many words, but he chose the word labor, and it means wearisome effort. Wearisome effort. I have the privilege of teaching preaching at Montreat College. One of my students texted me a couple of weeks ago and said in my preaching class, it said, preparing a sermon is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Pastoring, leading, and I want to now extend this to, at grace, to these, to the following leaders. When I talk about respecting your leaders here, I'm thinking of staff, I'm thinking paid and volunteer, I'm thinking of deacons, I'm thinking of all of our group leaders from youth up, all of our group leaders, those are the people who labor among you. All of our group leaders at Grace, all of our deacons, all of our staff, paid and volunteer, care deeply for you. They prepare. They are burdened for your souls. They want you to live out your faith. I was in line at, uh, to pick up Trent from school, and I see behind me uh, uh, Michael Childress. And so he's sitting here this morning and Michael is an unbelievable bike rider. Like the guy I would never go ride with because I'll see him way out there somewhere. And so unbelievable. He's got a bike on the back of his Jeep. I holler out at him about it and then he calls me. And so we're in a conversation. It goes to two or three different things. And then I say to Michael, how is your walk with God? And he says, it's excellent. And then he said, maybe that's too strong a word. I'll say it's good and I owe it all to the group that Adam Kinniger started. He said, what happens in that group and what's happening there has changed my life. Uh, when uh, I, I text Adam that evening and said, Adam, man, heard great story of God's work through one of your guys and the effect that that has on uh, Michael and his family, his daughter sitting on the front row here this morning. Um, it is labor. Your leaders labor over you. They love you. Uh, in the Lord. Uh, we do this because God has called us to. Uh, there, there are no other reasons. It isn't for uh, strokes of the ego. It isn't anything like that. Uh, the people who labor over you do it in the Lord. Uh, and to esteem them very highly in love. 
Uh, this is an interesting phrase. One, honestly, I didn't know the nuance of until I studied it. To esteem very highly, we would look at that, and all of a sudden it looks like people are building platforms, right? And so uh, I'm in Lynn's group on Sunday mornings, and I build a platform, and I put Lynn on the platform because he's my leader. And I say, wow, I wish I could live like Lynn and, and be as godly as Lynn and, and, and love my wife like Lynn loves Paula. Uh, but, but there's this little phrase here. It says in love, Uh, why is that phrase included? It, It isn't that we build these massive platforms and we worship people. No, we love them. We, we love those people who serve among us. And so I look at Lynn and I know Lynn, he and I are friends and I know Lynn struggles just like I do, right? And so what you must understand is the only reason I'm on a platform is so you could see me this morning. That's all. But in life, I'm on the concrete like you. I go down as you do. I struggle. I, I worry at times. I'm afraid at times. There are times when I look at my wife and say, I really need your help with this. I I need your prayers on this. Uh, I read an article just last week by Louis Giglio uh, that that talked about his descent, uh, pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, his descent into depression and anxiety and the difficulty that that cost him. Uh, Since I have been at this church Two bouts of depression I've had in 15 years. I struggle like you do. I'm not above you at all. And so while you are to respect me uh, as your pastor, you do that in love. Uh, Not in any way that elevates me and denigrates you. That's so important. That's so important. Why? Why? Uh, There's not a group leader in the room that can live up to that kind of admiration. We can. None of us can. No deacon, no staff member. We can't handle that pressure. We cannot. uh, And we're not meant to, right? We're in this thing together uh, to esteem them very highly in love. Why? Because of their work. Not because of our position. There's no room for positional posturing this morning. Uh, there's no room for uh, uh, places of, uh, of posturing. Um, no reserved parking spaces for the preacher, right? And so the parking lot is full. I uh, went to a church a few uh, uh, months ago for uh, a funeral and and there was no parking spaces except the reserve one for the pastor. And all of a sudden I didn't like him <laughs> because I had to drive around, right? I'm like, you're not even here. Come on. You know, so, so it's that that's so important um, because of their work. It was about 15, 16 years ago that I met a pastor who pastors in this uh, town. His name is Paul Aldergan. Uh, Paul pastors the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. And I met Paul and for the next years and to this day, Paul began to pour into me. 
Uh, You see, I was in this area in my life where I wanted to understand what it meant to walk by grace. And I had been raised with legalism. Uh, legalism. I shared this with my students at Montreat uh, this uh, week uh, because we're covering Galatians. You can't cover Galatians and not talk about grace. And when I did, their mouths fell open. Uh, I said to them that when I was their age and went away to college, the list of things I'd never done far exceeded the list of things I had. At that age of 18, I'd never worn a pair of shorts. I had never been to a basketball game. I'd never been to a football game. I'd never uh, been to a movie theater. I'd watched two movies in my life because they showed them at West Middle. And I thought I was in hog heaven. I thought, you know, I'm sinning. Nobody knows. I'm in this round auditorium sitting on these very uncomfortable seats going straight to hell and nobody's picking up on this. I remember watching that. Uh, I, I had to sneak in my house, no lie, to listen to 106.9 because that was ungodly because it wasn't Southern gospel. That's what I grew up in. Those are all the things I'd never done. Imagine that being how you roll and going to Myrtle Beach on vacation and you can't wear shorts. I'm serious. We swam in the swimming pool with blue jeans. People looked at us. We got to, you know what it built in me? You don't care what people think about you. You don't care. Like if the one thing I got from that is it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. I remember on more than one occasion walking through the high school and people making fun of me. I didn't care. I didn't care what they thought. They always quit when they needed help on calculus. So it was all good. And I didn't care. You know, I just didn't care. And so all of that. And then I end up with Paul Aldergren and I'm, I'm just, I'm listening to Swindoll's sermon series on Romans one through eight. And I want to get what it means to walk by grace. And I so can't get it. And Paul sits down with me and he says, Jerry, we'll, we'll just start at Romans six and we'll walk through verse by verse and we'll do that until you get this. And, uh, that took years. And that man will go into his pulpit this morning in his 70s. And you as a congregation uh, for anything I've ever done good in your life in ministry, owe it to Paul Aldegren. There's no doubt. I esteem him. I am so grateful to him for how he taught me. Uh, Members respect those who serve you. Respect them. Uh, the very best way to do it is at the end. If your parents are more than one child, you know it. this. Be at peace among yourselves. Get along with each other. If you want to respect your mom and dad, kids, it's just please quit fighting. And in church, if you want to respect your leaders, get along with each other. Um. Leaders, be patient with those you serve. The second truth, Paul amps it up here and says, and we urge you. All right, so he said, we ask you members, leaders, this is all us now. We urge you, 
there's a sense of urgency. What? To do what? To be patient. Uh, There are three things he says to do. First of all, admonish the idol. Uh, That's an old word, admonish, and it means to warn. To warn. You warn the idol. Um, Part of my job as a pastor and part of your group leader's job is to, to warn you at times, to call you out. That's part of our job description. Uh, if I don't do that, I'm guilty of malpractice. And so what does idle mean? It's not the best translation. The word uh, literally means uh, insubordinate, um, unruly. There are people who don't like anybody telling them anything in their lives that could be wrong. Those people perhaps, and I'm speaking now to group leaders and to staff, uh, perhaps they've been wrong. Perhaps they've been mistreated by a leader. Perhaps they've been talked to. And, uh, and then you step in and you begin to speak truth and they'll, they'll recoil. Uh, you can't take it personally. 99% of the time, it is not because it's you. 99% of the time, it's historical. And you get history playing itself out from some other situation unresolved. Um, admonish, don't, don't stop leaders to warn the idol. You who work with youth here at Grace as group leaders, uh, it, you have to warn Students all the time, all the time, not because they're dumb, they're great, but life is flying. It's quick. It's quick. And you have to constantly be on the alert. Parents, this is your job. It isn't your job to be your kid's friend. I've said that again and again. They'll have many friends. One set of parents, it's you. It isn't your job to be the most popular person on the planet with your son or daughter. It's your job to speak truth into their lives. And if they don't like you for it, they'll get over that. Why? Because you pay the bills and feed them. Just pull back on that. And they'll like you. You, you, you must. Please hear me. Please hear me. Parents, you watch too much uh, Dr. Phil and all that mess. I'm glad I corrected the word that was flowing through my head. (laughs) All that mess. And it will defang you as a parent. Please hear me. It will defang you as a parent. Don't buy into it. It's the world's cultural trash. You are are your kids parents be that be that warn admonish the insubordinate it begins when they're two and when they're three and continues when they're 13 Uh, number two paul says in this section encourage the faint-hearted uh this is father imagery uh faint-hearted In Thessalonica, probably fit a couple categories. What Paul has just addressed, there are people who thought Jesus would be coming back by now. 
Like, where is he? Paul, you said Jesus was coming. Where is he? Secondly, remember when Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica? This is at the beginning. I've loved this series. At the beginning of it. And they had to be snuck out of town late at night. Remember that? And there was a guy named Jason. And the authorities called him in. And he had to post bail. uh, Because he was worshiping the Lord. And so everybody's coming against them. And they're, they're, they're faint hearted. And Paul is saying to the leaders, you've got people paying the price to follow Jesus. Encourage them. Encourage the faint-hearted. Who are they in the room this morning? Um, These are ones I've talked to recently. Students facing pressure in school to do things that they know aren't right to do. Students facing pressure in school. Those are faint-hearted If you're here this morning and you are a parent of them or you volunteer with them, uh, encourage them. Number two, uh, spouses of sick spouses. Some of you are sitting here this morning. You suffer. I've seen this again and again in a way that your spouse who is dying perhaps or who has a uh, chronic illness does not. The spouse suffers greatly. Uh, You are to be encouraged. And uh, third, people fighting cancer. People who fight cancer struggle hard. Um, Those going through divorce, divorce is hard. I've heard many divorcees say death would be easier and from everything that I've heard from them, they, they, I think, are right. Because at least death was not by choice. And divorce is a choice. And it hurts hard. And I look around the room and see people that I've talked to in the last two weeks. And you have wept. Those grieving. Grieving. Those are the faint-hearted in the room. And and we're here to encourage you. There's a group that's sitting in the back. They're a bunch of sinners. They're getting ready to leave. Uh, But it's it's Jay and Glenda's group uh, that are sitting back there. It's a small group. And last late fall, Betty Thornton, who is in that group, her husband Dan died. Betty and Dan had been married for a long, long time. And so we gathered up here, and I can't remember if he had already passed away or if he was near passing away, but it was after the 11 o'clock service, uh, and the group gathered up here around Betty to pray for her. And they invited me into that sacred moment. I remember standing right here with this group and they stood. Would you guys just stand this uh, motley crew back there? Look around uh, at this crew. Look how decked out they are. <laughs> they're, they're going to first press, I think, in a little bit and they had to clean up. But uh, <laughs> you guys can be seated. They're going over because uh, Betty's husband pastored first press for a while and they're going there this morning, I think. Uh, in a time of honoring Dan, but um, but I watched them begin to pray for her, and then Betty 
did something that I don't think I'll ever forget. She walked around, and as they were praying for her, she in her spiritual maturity sensed that they may need her as much as she needed them. And she took her hand and put it on every one of them's chest as they prayed for her. That's what it means to encourage the faint-hearted. To encourage them. Could I say a word to the faint-hearted this morning? I say it with all the love in the world. Please don't wait until you're laid out somewhere with, without the strength to get up to let us know you're faint-hearted. That's not on us. We love faint-hearted people at this church, but if we don't know you're fainting, we can't help. All right, take that from somebody who's fainted in every possible place on the planet. Literally, I got so sick in Africa, I fainted on the plane on the way home. <laughs> and let me just say, if, if you're fainting, Jennifer Lynch is not who you want around. <laughs> at all. And so, so... Encourage the faint-hearted. And if you need it, let us know. Number three, under leaders, be patient with those you serve. Help the weak. Help, help the weak. Uh, Weston, will you come up here, please? Uh, This is Weston Daniels, one of our students. And I just have to demonstrate this. This word help is not the normal word for help in Scripture. Just come on over. Uh, this is the word help. Just turn and face me right here. Face me. Yeah. Uh, the word help literally means this right here. That's what the word means. Isn't that interesting? Face to face, eye to eye, hands on shoulders. That's help. Thank you. Help the weak. Do you know what that means? Listen, there will be times when you will not be able to stand on your own two feet, amen? There will be, there will be. Uh, I look out right now and just caught Jackie's eyes. Bill and Jackie, years ago, received a phone call and their house was burning. And there was nothing they could do about it. And I remember showing up and seeing the terror in their eyes. We can't plan for these things, can we? There's no way. Absolutely no way. So what do you do in those moments? You stand eye to eye, hands on shoulders, and you steady that person. You steady that person until they get through whatever it is. I've learned through the years, through 15 plus years here to say, have no idea what's going to happen, but we, 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 will, we will, will get through this together. I don't know where this is going to lead, but I can promise you, I'll be with you. People in that moment aren't looking for answers They're glad you're there. Uh, Don't be intimidated because you've never been through it. 
That's modern pop psychology that says you have to go through something in order to help somebody else through something else. Don't buy into that. No, you don't have to go through exactly what they're going through to help them. You can help them. I'll get to that in a moment because Christ in you is the hope of glory. And in that moment, you can stand across from somebody whose life is falling apart. And you can be hands on shoulders, eyes to eyes, toes to toes and say, we will get through this together. Amen, church? And we must do that. We must be patient with them all. Leaders, our, our job is serious and, and, and hard and fun at the same time. Uh, the third truth, everyone do God's will. There are four always in here. And if you're taking notes, you need to write them down. It's fascinating. And I've misunderstood this until this week. Uh, I've just misunderstood it. But here they are. Always seek to do good to one another. Always seek to do good to one another. That's your first always. That seek to do good means literally to run after. To run after doing good to one another. Uh, Adrian was telling me uh, this week that at McDowell, when he was a student at McDowell Tech, he showed up one day, had loads of loose leaf paper that was super important, and he put it on top of his vehicle, and the wind caught it, and it went everywhere. And Adrian said, I just ran after it as hard as I could toward the road and everywhere it went. That's this word. We are to seek to do good to one another that hard that hard you run after it always seek to do good to one another the two word verse always rejoice always rejoice now this is plural this is written to all of us together all of the pronouns in here are second person plural All right, so all of us always seek to do good to one another. All of us always rejoice. Does that mean glib happiness when grief strikes someone? No, it means a deep abiding joy that is a choice. That is a choice when you don't feel like it, right? There is this deep abiding joy. Always seek to do good. Always rejoice. Always pray. Pray without ceasing. Always pray. Pray about everything. That's what that means. There is nothing in your life that doesn't merit prayer. Uh, Let go of the notion that this is too small for God. That maybe God doesn't care about that. Whatever it is that's on your heart, he cares about. Whatever it is that's weighing you down, he cares about. Always pray. So always seek to do good. Always rejoice. Always pray. Always give thanks. Always give thanks. Us collectively together in the worst moments of life as a body. We can be grateful. As a body, we can be thankful. Always, always, always. Tom Rainer, uh, in his book, I Am a Church Member, says, It is easier to be an Orthodox church member than a loving church member. 
And that's true, isn't it? It's easier to be right than loving. He says it's easier to be an active church member than a loving church member. Oh, isn't that true? So much easier. At this point, if you're like me, you're probably feeling pretty overwhelmed. Like, well, that's no small task we're called to do. Until we get to verse 23. If you write in your Bibles, you should underline, highlight 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Guess what? You're going to do something that, that maybe you didn't expect to do, but we're all going to do it. Just look at your neighbor and say, I can't do this. Do that now. All right. So here I have, I've just spent a few minutes preaching to you uh, these truths. And now you're saying, I can't do it. Yeah. That's what verse 23 says. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. I can't either. What does the word sanctify mean? It's the most theological term in the whole uh, passage. It means to make holy, to make like Christ. Guess what? You can't. You can't do it. You can't do it. Maybe on your best day, you'll do okay. But as soon as you hit a bump in the road, do you know what's going to happen? You'll struggle. And you'll mess up. So if you can't do it, look at this. May the God of himself, uh, peace himself, God himself, not, not someone else, sanctify you. How much? How much church? Completely. Completely. And may your whole spirit, not just part of you, but your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please hear me. God will never ask you to do anything that he won't empower you to do. God has just given these commands and he's saying, and I'm ready. And I'll do this through you. I'm ready. As a matter of fact, the very next line says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Who will do it? God. How? Verse 19, I think, says, do not quench the Spirit. Through His Spirit, who lives in you, He will enable you, members, to respect your leaders. Leaders, to be patient with the members. Everyone, to do God's will. And what is God's will? Always seek to do good. Always rejoice, always give thanks, always pray. 
How in the world can you be that person in your circumstances right now? God, who is faithful, will do it through you. How? I'm bouncing around verse 15. See that no one repays evil for evil. But always do good to one another and to everyone. When somebody wrongs you, first response, I'll get them back. That's our sinful nature. I'll come right back. I'll show them. Right? Husbands, wives, been there? Right? Been there? Retaliate. Been there? Think of it right now. Some of you are in that situation. So what do you do? What do you do? See that no one repays evil for evil. Why? This Friday, we will celebrate what we call Good Friday. And for years, I wondered why do we call that good? Good Friday is good because the only good man to ever live chose not to repay evil for evil, but gave us his good for our evil. He gave us his righteousness for our unrighteousness. He gave us his life for when we should have had death. That's why it's Good Friday. It wasn't good for Jesus, but it was definitely good for us. So what turned out not to be good for him turned out to be great for us. So we of all people who are beneficiaries of the sacrifice of Jesus, who knew no evil, knew no sin, but became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We in no way then take and repay evil for evil. Why? Our evil is covered. It's taken care of on the cross. We are a people who are who we are because Christ did what he did. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took your, your evil then and he takes every bit of it until the day you die. What does that look like? Tomorrow, today, when tempted to repay evil for evil. The very best prayer to pray for God is, God, I can't do this. I I can't. You know what he says back to you? He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God, I can't love my boss. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God, I don't know how much longer I can put up with my wife and her antics. He who called you is faithful. He will do it. God, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure how, how much more of this I can take. He who called you is faithful and he will do it. He stands ready to do it. So how do we live this out? And I'm done. Two phrases that have to populate our vocabulary 
anybody who has been happily married for any period of time knows these two phrases. Any church that happily serves God knows these phrases. Here they are. We'll say them. I'll I'll share it. We'll say them together. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. If you're ever going to get along, you will learn to say, I'm sorry. And you will learn to respond. If you're on the receiving end of that, I forgive you. Let's say in church, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Again, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Those must become regular words. Why? Because one day when you were lost in your sins, you looked to Jesus and you said what? I'm sorry. What did you say, church? I'm sorry. And Jesus looked back at you and what did he say to you? I forgive you. Wow. 